0: Hello and welcome to Learning from Legends with me, Peter Switzer. And today, I have a genuine legend from the game of rugby union. His name is Topo Rodriguez. He was an Argentinian who ended up playing for Australia and became arguably one of the best props that ever played the game here and in the world. But the the modern day Topo Rodriguez is all about making rugby union and sport generally safer for the participants who play. I'm now going to catch up with uh, Toppo to see what he wants to see happen to his beloved game of rugby union and sport generally. Toppo, thanks for joining us on the program. My pleasure. All right, now, let me just put some context because there might be some people listening to this who don't fully know much about you. And I'm going to do like a a little summary, but you, you can add to it. I'm going to ask questions about you as well. But, you know, I was introduced to you before I knew you, as a a wonderful prop for the Australian Wallaby uh, rugby union team. Um, Statistics tell me you played 43 tests for Australia, 13 for Argentina, four for South America. And I didn't know South America played rugby, but I guess in some tournament it must have. Um, And I, I say if they named our best rugby pack ever, Toppo, you would be in that pack. Now, you might disagree, but that's my view on things. You were a very important part of a period where the Wallabies were very successful. What was the, the win-loss ratio of the Wallabies when you were playing, Toppo? Well, Peter, before I get into that, I have to
1: say I'd rather be efficient prop, not, wonder, not wonderful prop. That's I prefer that as a front row forward to be there. Secondly, your strength is numbers. I may have to correct in the numbers. <laughs> okay. I played 42 tests all up, 16 for Argentina and 26 for Australia and one for Tahiti. That made me the only triple rugby union international dead or alive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. After that, within those 26 that are counted for Argentina, we played four tests for South America versus the Springboks, when the height of the apartheid was they were completely locked out of international competition. They came up with this clever idea of inviting one Brazilian, one Paraguayan, one Uruguayan, one Chilean, and 25 Argentinians, and that was South America 15. So, in fact, we played two tests in South, America, in South Africa and two in South America. So that rounded off. That, yeah. Okay.
0: Now what, now, what about the success, the failure or success rate of the Wallabies when you were packing down the scrum? Do you know those numbers? Well, um, we – all well, I can say, our first three
1: years, my first three years, 84, 85, 86 – were incredibly success successful because we just in general we beat the, we won the Grand Slam in 1984. You only call it Grand Slam when you win it, mm-hmm. not when you go on tour to play. For example, a lot of people have said that these wallets went for the Grand Slam tour. No, 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 no. It's called his Grand Slam when it's won. So mm-hmm. then we won the Playstroll Cup in '86. So we can say and we beat France, Argentina. New Zealand, everyone else, but South Africa, because South Africa, they were not in the competition, they were not allowed to. But anyhow, Mm -hmm. that is, then Australia won the 91 World Cup and the 99 World Cup. So in a period of 15 years, we had what I call the golden era of Australian right. I only played the first four of, of that period. Were, we were a very, very winningful team because we had the two World Cups, the Players' World Cup, and the Grand Slam. Yeah. I don't know the ratio, but I can say since 1999, our trophy cabinet has been leaking. or had some bottomless drawers. <laughs> They're gone. We, have not, we lost the ability to dominate and to win. And as you just pointed out, The Scrum is the beginning of the game. That is the foundations of this big building that is a rugby team. And if you don't have Scrum, you don't have the platform to launch your attack. Hmm. Yeah. And this is what's happening in Australia. Look, Australians have not learned the lessons in history. Because in 1983, the year before I came, the Argentina beat Australia in Valley mode, and we scored, I was with Argentina. So we scored two pushover tries. It was a complete, you know, disaster. People didn't know what was happening. And, you know, they haven't learned the lessons. Because the following year I come here and I was part of not only playing, but helping with the coaching and all the rest. Just doing some fine tuning and telling the young guys what to do. So we have four years of very good forward power. So how could possibly we forget that? Mm. That is a big question for the coaches and for the technical staff and whoever
0: is developing courses. Mm. Why? Now, now, Topo, let me put something controversial to you, and you. Absolutely. And you might find this offensive, but I, I say this in the most respectful possible way. And I remember the, the reason why I came up with this theory about what's wrong with Australian um, rugby packs nowadays. Um, remember a guy by the name of... Um, was it Matt Dunn? He was a prop for New South Wales. Matt Dunning. Matt Dunning, right. Now, Matt, Danny Foley and Baxter. Now, Matt first. Yeah, so he came to, to Australian rugby looking like a prop. He was overweight, he was big and strong, and then all of a sudden he kind of went on a diet and started looking fashionable and all that sort of stuff. And I've always figured that as soon as our props started looking pretty, we started losing games. But, and, and in recent times, our props are now squatty, hard to push around, and, and our team is starting to improve. Is it important that props actually have to sacrifice their bodies and not look like, you know, he, you know, um, models for the sake of the, the game. Because, like, I know you're you're one of the most attractive props that the world's ever seen. Absolutely, because people look inside my soul. That's, That's why exactly. they find me attractive. Exactly. But in a sense, am I right in saying that we, you do need to have a certain kind of body shape to be an effective prop in rugby? Okay, so you are pointing at the player. What I will do is
1: point at the pig and the hen that feeds it, okay? So, and I use another analogy, which is if you are applying, maybe, I don't know today, but I worked for the State Bank of New South Wales running a fitness center for eight years, and I knew a fair bit about bankers or people that work for banks. Now, if you apply for a position in the bank, the number one condition is to be honest. I don't know about the, the, the directors, you know, at the top level, but at the bottom, if you're not honest, so that's what. Now, a prop must be honest when it comes to scrambling. You've got to get that right. There is no negotiable. It doesn't matter how much you run or kick or pass or how good you look. If you can't sort your position out, you're out. So the problem is the coaches have compromised because, of, because they got a heavy second row, they get a light prop or, or because they want to... So they've gone wrong on the principles and the fundamentals of the game. They compromised positions. And then you got the back line screaming for the ball. You just give us the ball and we'll tuck it about. Hang on a second. To get the ball... I, I compare the, the pack, the scrum, like an ATM. You go, clink, 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 and money comes out. Then you got the two administrators, the half pack and the 5 right? You have move it in and check it out to the stockbrokers out there. And they just gamble gallop, put the money. and They say, oh, shit, we lost. And they said, don't worry. The ATM, ATM will give you more money to get more ball, ask for the ball, give me more, give me more. We've got another novel idea. We've got some good shares to buy. Problem is, for the ATM to work, you have to put money first in. ATM give no credit. So if you don't get your scrum right, you'll
0: have no money to play. So do you think that Australian rugby coaches have ignored the importance of the ATM, the, the rugby scrum? And as a consequence, our results reflect that? Definitely, yes. Okay. Now, let's move, let's move from this because it's a, it's, a, it's a very, very good um, a segue. Um, since you've retired, you've done many things, but you've dedicated your life. I, I, my note is that you've dedicated your life to making rugby and sport generally safer. Is that, is that a fair generalisation or is it something even bigger than that?
1: Well, my I always had the, since I was young, 15 years old, when I always had this willingness to help. Then, by becoming a father, I learned that helping, coaching, and teaching your kids is very similar. You're just helping someone, imparting knowledge or guiding them, and you, you give a bit, you let them go, then they bump the head, and then you go and help. So in a way, is something that I believe is biological. It's like mothers with a mother instinct. Well, fathers have this also thing of coaching, teaching, and seeing the kids progressing. So that is, I reckon, in me, natural. Then as a consequence of that, I feel like I'm a bit of a teacher, educator, I love it, and I get on very well with people. So in all this process, I wanted to set up, a scrummaging academy and a forward academy in Australia, with safety component as number one. But that I was never listened to. I was director of Spine Safe Limited with Professor John Yowans, doctors from the Royal North Hospital, and all that. I tried to get into rugby union, rugby league, and Aussie rules. Not a way. No, they were not interested. They they were covered. They knew everything. So then I tried to set up this academy here and in Argentina. Now, now. And what I just called them up for is I may be a difficult person, meek person, but my ideas are sound. Why don't they copy or well, at least try Trial it in secret. Now, then I went on and wrote two theses on scrummaging and rugby. Same story. No support, no money. I did all my own, self-published. I put the money, cost me a lot of money. And only very, very few people read it. And whoever read it, and I had some really top people in the world, like Ray Williams, who was the father of Welsh coaching, and he was the most influential guy in Australian coaching back in 1975 and 1985. Mm. And... And this guy said, this is a masterpiece. I've never read anything, never seen anything like it in, in, in Ragman and Scramaging. Now, that also, so what it is, is the selfishness and the power seeking and all these frailties of human beings are displayed just by not listening to somebody that knows. I'm not arrogant. I've got 50 years of knowledge about psychology physical education, now I'm getting to neurology, which is what we're leading into this international sports science forum. I've been involved with mental health. I've studied psychiatry. I don't know
0: how much more do I have to study to be able to teach people. So um, given the fact that all sports around the world now are being put under the, the, the pressure pump to recognize the damage that they're doing to their athletes uh, and insurance companies must be, in particular, uh, putting pressure on sporting yes. administrators to get it right. Is there any sign that Australian rugby, ARU, is still called the ARU? Uh, rugby Australia. Rugby Australia. Australia and same with World Rugby's now it's not the IRB. Is well, rugby. Yeah. Okay. Uh, are these groups showing more interest in what you're doing to add the safety factor uh, into their game? Because it seems to me, if they don't do this, they leave themselves open to be prosecuted by a, a, a young prop who, finds yes. that his wife is actually devastated because the administrators haven't done enough to make it safe. Okay. It's interesting the choice of
1: words you have. You said, are they showing interest? Mm. Showing, of course, cosmetically, they're showing a lot of interest in a lot of things. The question is, are they really doing today something effective, proactive or not? And the answer is no. So they showing, yes, a lot of cosmetic and PR and all the rest. We see it in rugby league that I got people in there that are telling the world, that they are looking into this area, they also rules. They have a committee, and that they're being approached. But I don't think they are really doing work in there. And here is the the key of this: the sports in rugby. I, I will stick to rugby because know very little about that. Rugby since 1995 has become a business. It's an enterprise. And what I'm advocating for, and I'm asking the administrators and everybody else, the insurance, the sponsors, and all the rest, is to look at like a company, like BHP. I'll take BHP or Rio Tinto Brothers. They have, before the 18-year-old junior, apart from being honest, they need to be. They need to induct them into the concept of superannuation. Now, superannuation is simple. You earn today, you save something for tomorrow because nobody knows what's going to happen or how long it to work. So the athletes, these rugby players, need to understand that life is hard and whatnot. So you need to put money aside. Before you earn the money, you open the account to save. This is something that the managers and the agents are the ones that should be responsible for doing that. Telling them, you're going to earn a million dollars this year, but watch out. Nothing guarantees you that you're not going to break your neck or have concussion and be taken on a wheelchair within the next 12 months. So you've got to be, the you know, the contingency. That's why you're taking insurance. And the other concept aligned with business is the occupational health and safety, which concerns The directors, because a young guy at 20, you and I were indestructible at 20, 18, 25, and you just want the money, piss it up in the casino, go out with girls, with guys, and you don't think about, you're going to, well, it's the responsibility of world rugby, Australian rugby, whatnot, to look after the health and the well-being of the athletes stop, That's as a person. Then as a player, they need to minimize the injuries because it's a performing asset. So you want it to be, it's like a, a lathe, a machinery that is working. You've got to budget it for 24 hours a, a work. When that machine goes down and it's only giving you for a week is down, you lost 24 by seven production. And the problem is, in the rehab, what is being done? Now, a player that has a concussion and is taken out of the field, the doctor comes and asks him, what's your name? Where are we playing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, go back to the field. That is not looking after your assets. Hmm. Others say, oh, no, we'll take him to the hospital. Oh, he can play now in the next week or two. That's not enough. It's now proven. The science is proven. You need to at least anyone that gets knocked on the ground for three seconds that is motionless needs to be taken out, looked after, put them in an ambulance, into the hospital, and then four weeks observation minimum, minimum, because they can worsen, they can get better, they can also collapse two weeks after or not. Now, what I'm saying to you is not my invention. I've done a course on Understanding Traumatic Brain Injury at the University of Tasmania, the Week in Dementia Studies Center. So I know what I'm talking about. I've been reading about neurology. I've done it when I was 19, when I studied psychology. But the people still trying to defend the business or re- their reputation. Instead of just reviewing the whole thing, the building is crumbling. You need to go to the foundations and fix it. The foundation
0: is the law, and the practices. Hmm. So, Topo, it seems to me that one of the big problems would be if, for example, Australia adopted, you know, best practice when it comes to protecting their players. It would mean that uh, a lot of players would probably be out of the game for a, a you know a reasonable period of time, which would effectively weaken their team. So, if if, if the rest of the, the teams around the world aren't doing the same thing, you, in doing the right thing, you're put at a competitive disadvantage. So it seems to me then you need world rugby to also embrace it simultaneously so all teams are being governed by the same sensible, safe practices, which don't leave one side advantaged over another. Absolutely. But so one thing
1: is world rugby and another one is the All Blacks, Australia and whatnot now. Do we agree that they're very well-paid today? Yeah, of course. Excellently well-paid. Now, if a player breaks the leg and can't play anymore, what happened with that position? You get a queue of about 100 players that want to play in that position. So what we need to do is increase the recruitment of young players to have a standby. But at the same time, you need to guarantee health and well-being to this guy not to be treated like disposable nappies. Mm. Use discarded out. You know where the problem is? They make the money. The sport makes the money today, but the liability or the, the responsibility of the player is of the family. Then the family needs to, this is the same thing happens in mental health, mental illness. When you're out of the treadmill, out of the gravy train or whatever you want to call it, then you need to be looked after, in some cases, for the rest of your life, whether you're quadriplegic or you have dementia or, boy, because the next one that comes with, with all this is depression. Mm-hmm. And next to the depression is suicide. Well, all these things need to be looked after by the family, the friends, and all that. So it's, it's an enormous price
0: that the sport administration don't see. They don't want to see Tell me this, What What's the insurance provision? Say, so for example, does um, Australian rugby insure every player or um, are, are the players encouraged to take out their own insurance and uh, given the fact that they're well paid, uh, you know, they should be able to do that? Or are insurance companies afraid to actually insure players who are playing sport at this level? Well... Peter, first, uh, I'm not
1: privy to that kind of information because it's not my area, and I don't honestly have the interest, but I see the results, and you as a business person know how insurance works, and so do I. Hmm. If you have a risk that is increasing, you have to put the premiums up or reduce the areas that you're covering. And today, sorry, today, I know I'm aware of companies that are leaving aside anything to do with concussion. They don't cover concussion or dementia or some part of it. Yeah, maybe concussion, yes, but dementia, no. And, you know, it's all the fine print. Same with COVID. Some companies say, oh, no, if you get infected with COVID. So the companies make sure that they will always make more money than what they spend. And if they don't have enough money, they don't pay there the premium, the, no, the, the compensations mm. until they get the money. So it's very clear. They will never lose money unless they mismanage the whole thing. So I don't know the numbers, but I can say in view of the class action that is at the moment is a group of about 110 players and growing, is a big class action against the English Rape Union, and the world rugby. This has happened with American football. where about two years ago, they were paid, a group of players were paid something like two and a half billion dollars. The Aussie Rules organization is talking about, they've been talking and I they think they're doing it, to put aside something like two billion dollars to pay the older ex-players that have problems and whatnot. They also make I have made the provision to put aside $25 million a year to cover this area mm. as a contingency fund. So slowly, the sports administrator are realising that this is going to be a money problem. Now, I am certain it will be a money problem. And as you know, when money starts changing hands, more than likely two-thirds of it ends up in the hands of the lawyers or in their account the account know, the, of the law firm. Mm. So this is where the I mean, sports administrators need to wake up quickly. That if they will lose the money, and then the sport will go in, you know, disrepute, and then they will go bankrupt and they lose the support. Now, today, Australian rugby is not in a position, is not an easy position. They had to borrow money from World Rugby. Some 20 million pounds or something to just keep the operation going. And then you got this bomb, atomic bomb looming. Peter Vlandis in regularly has seen this coming. He has seen the progression or the likely damage. And he's taking action, or at least he's telling us that he's taking action. And a lot of people complain that, oh, this is a sport, tough sport, hang on a second. You don't pay 50 bucks for a ticket to go and see somebody maimed or be
0: crucified for the rest of his life mm. or her life. Women have a fair share of problem here. Mm. So, what what is the player Association mm. in rugby doing? Are they agitating for uh, better protection, uh, insurance coverage and all that sort of stuff? No, the the players' association are very happy
1: to take the money from the unions, from the from the mother company. So they're very happy. So they're not unionists; they just accompany the players on certain things. But they're not defending the players, mm. at least in my view. If you're paid by the senior company, there is no. And the same thing
0: happens in England. Mm. Topo, should the rules change? Um, you know, like for example. Um, we, we know rugby, I think, is, is much better than, say, rugby league when it comes to addressing, you know, a, a tackling that involves the head and all that sort of stuff. Rugby's been ahead of that. But, like, for example, the scrum from whence you came, it still is a, a, a challenge for, for people, isn't it? In terms of necks, concussion, oh, things like that. The, this, we take away pushing from rugby, at least? The scrum. And again, the, the ease, it's easy for people
1: to sort of get the idea or get around the idea. We need to, the, 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 the parting point, the, the generation or the morphing of the sport is 1995. So for the last 26 years, the scrum has been morphing, guided, misguided, and whatnot. So they had several changes in the laws. they still non effectual. They still, There are many areas, many that can still be adjusted. They don't know what they are doing. The scrum can be made safer by making adjustments and understanding the mentality of the television, the sports administrators, the coaching complement of coaches, the coaches themselves, the director, everyone needs to change the paradigm when it comes to responsibility, taking responsibility for your own actions. So it's it's an attitudinal change. Is the positivity what we need and leave the negativity around because it's a job. If you go and maim someone with a shoulder charge or with a scrum, you twist the neck and all the rest, you are denying a family the opportunity to have an income and live reasonably well. Mm. So this is where people need to understand. This is not a Roman circus where the emperor gives you the thumbs up or the thumbs down. No, we are much more, much better than that. Now, there are people, as I said before, they think because they pay $50 a ticket or $100 or whatever, they got the right to say thumbs down. So that's what is wrong. So the laws need to be changed, need to be adapted. And some are very simple. It's just a tweaking.
0: In others, it's got to be a major overhaul. Okay. Now, so you've done a great job explaining what's wrong. So how does this get fixed? What has to happen? What do you, in a perfect world, want to see happen? Okay, um, now
1: I have put together a team of 45, today 45, and it's growing. Professionals, scientists of <clears throat> neurologists, respiratory, cardiologists, biomechanists, psychiatry, psychologists everything that involves a person that starts playing rugby, let's say, at 15, 17, or any sport, all the way to, let's say, the worst thing that could happen, here. Yeah? A spinal uh, injury, um, dementia, all the, rest, the whole spectrum, all together to work in prevention programs. Now, the prevention have to start from some philosophical principles of what is right be about, what was the spirit of the law, of the game, why is it so today being this way? So we need to analyze. And I know it's about four or five things that are not happening today that are part of the fundamentals of right, which is the principle number three, continuity. The right has lost the continuity because they had too many stoppages. If you want to go to camera in a good time without speeding, the only way to do the good time is by not stopping. And the same thing, the game needs to be continued, not faster. They've been The whole machinery of people around it, they all want to make it faster. But the problem is the referee is talking to the crowds. He's teaching the players how to do this. He's telling about tactics. That should be part of the the players. You use the tactics yourself. The referee shouldn't be telling you when to play the ball. The referee needs to stick to the law book, and it's either penalty or play on, play on or penalty. It's not a policeman. So today we have, they're a policeman, they're a supreme judge, they're a coach, they're a tactician. they also entertainer because they talk to the TMO and all right. So it's nonsense. This degeneration has happened in the last 26 years when
0: the money became the centre of the attention. But Topper, who do you want to target as the prime mover of the reform process that you want to see happen. You've got a team of professional people who can actually direct um, rugby into the right direction, but who needs to be, if you like, given a kick up the butt to embrace the reforms that you think are absolutely essential? His his name is Sir Bill Beaumont, has been the chairman of the
1: World Rugby for the last six years, and his board, the board is... um, Gilpin Alan Gilpin is the CEO and previously had Bill Gosper, there, Brett Gosper, sorry, and these people that are at the top they are the ones that need to be committed. Now probably before that we should talk to the sponsors and tell them that this cow is about to be dried out. Hmm. They can't milk the cow because they're not putting grass in the mouth
0: and, and, so, their brand, and their brand will be damaged as being accessories before the fact. Well, at the moment, the
1: accessories to assault, shoulder charges are hidden there by murder. Some people die. Some people go bankrupt. The clubs are folding. Hmm. The, the, the grassroots is dwindling. So the elite is right at the top. Well, they is millions and millions of dollars in but the clubs are striking. Yeah. So what I see that my projection is in a place like Sydney that you have we have, let's say, 12 first division clubs, they will become eight or six. They will amalgamate and merge around and and everywhere. So one big city will have one big international team, and the FIDA is a pyramid built around. Upside down. Instead of increasing the base, they're decreasing the base so the pyramid will come
0: shorter. Now, uh, Topo, we're out of time, but tell us, if someone wants to fully understand what you want to see happen, is there a website that, that you're linked to that they can read? The LinkedIn, uh, sorry, the,
1: there is my profile in LinkedIn, um, which is easy to put Enrique Topo Rodriguez, and he's there. Then we have the website of the International Sports Sciences Forum that is iss-forum.net. Would you like me to repeat that? Yeah, one more time. iss-forum.net. Now, this has some general information, not the specific of this research, study, and program that we are putting together. Anyone that wants it, they can contact me. My uh, You have my number and my email address. If you want, to, I'll repeat it here, or or they can contact you, whichever way you think is best. Just give me your email address. Email address is toporod at gmail.com. I'll spell it out. T-O-P-O-R-O-D
0: for Daniel, at gmail.com, toporroad at gmail.com. Thank you very much, Topo, and I hope you get to achieve now, what you want to achieve. Thank you because this is a huge step in the right direction and you will be part
1: of the revolution created onto rugby union, the new game,
0: the new rugby. Thank you, Topo Rodriguez, for joining us on the programme, and I really do hope you end up achieving what you want to achieve, not only for you, but for the people out there you want to save. A great, uh, a great idea and a great initiative. You're um, getting mobile right now. Fantastic work! And if you want to know more about the uh, the business called Switzer, just go to switzer.com.au. Thanks for joining us. I'll talk to you next week with learning from legends. <laughs>